0: Good morning, 1548 Heights, members and friends, online and in person. Grace and peace to you in abundance. I want to offer an emphatic, happy Mother's Day to our mothers out there. You are truly awesome, just truly awesome. And it's a hard job, but uh, I just commend you and thank you and lift you up today. I hope you're honored in many ways today. It's a special weekend for Angela and me in that light because our grandson, our two-year-old grandson, flew in on Thursday afternoon and surprised her for Mother's Day weekend. How is that? Okay. He was, of course, accompanied by his parents, uh, our daughter and son-in-law. He seems to bring them uh, with him wherever he goes. I have found that in addition to seeing his lovely grandmother, he also came to visit his long-distance girlfriend, Sophia Leon. Uh, they were able to just uh, catch up a little bit before he had to leave. Unfortunately, he had to leave. They've got to get him to his nap and then a plane flight. and You know how it is with little kids, but uh, it's a special day for us. At 1548 Heights, we're committed to our mission of being a transforming church, changing lives for God and for good in the world as God transforms us into the image of of Jesus, And in light of that theme of transforming, being transformed, I'm beginning a new series today that I'm calling Good and Beautiful. Now I want to uh, explain the reason for and the genesis of this series. A, a, a Christian author and teacher named James Bryan Smith wrote a series of books over the last decade. Here's a picture of them. The Good and Beautiful God the good and beautiful life and the good and beautiful community each trying to set forth a healthy and biblical understanding of God and of the Christian life and of the church in light of so many sort of negative or toxic narratives about those and it was interesting because he was having a coffee with a friend and you know and the friend said you're not finished he said you're kidding you know I've talked about the beautiful good and beautiful god life community and the friend said do you know how many False self narratives are out there. How many toxic self narratives are out there? You need to write a book called The Good and Beautiful You. And so here's a picture. That's what this, uh, I'm going to do this series based on this book, but obviously drawing in a lot of uh, other biblical material and my own experiences and such. But uh, I will tell you, I wouldn't have preached this series 30 years ago because I thought it would be selfish and self-absorbed to focus on the good and beautiful you. You know, the object should be God and Jesus and the mission in the world and all. But what if you uh, have an idea of who you are as a person that is not lending itself to that, that is not tapping into the essence of who we are as God-imaged people created in the image of God uh, good and beautiful in that. Well, you're going to be hindered, and so we're going to do some foundational work in this series. And every seri- uh, message in the series will have a, a a false narrative and then a true narrative. That'll be the structure. And I want to invite you. This sounds grandiose, but if you're going to miss a Sunday, listen to the podcast. Listen to the podcast. Uh, these will be consecutive messages. We have a great podcast. Uh, you can access it, um, I don't know, wherever you get podcasts, <laughs> 1540 Heights, <laughs> but Apple Podcasts, there's our podcast uh, curator there, uh, but, but it's important to hear these um, as we build this foundation. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the, the false narrative of who we are and then the true narrative, and then talk about three things that are important to know about our soul, our soul. And so let's just start here. What is the false narrative that so many of us carry around? It's almost inevitable that we are a self, that you are a self. Well, you say, of course, I'm, I'm myself. We're, we're ourselves. But to talk about the self is to talk about a construct that is a, a, a creation of culture and upbringing and roles and vocation and experiences, none of which are bad. You know, they're all part of life, you know. But they form this self that is, in essence, a, a fairly materialistic uh, uh, view of ourselves. It, 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 it is independent of anything that would be spiritually going on. It tends to be isolated. It tends to focus on survival. It tens, tends towards self-reliance. tends toward looking good for others, seeking the, the, the admiration and pleasure of others. The self is who we are without a soul. That's a good way to think of it. The self is who we are without a soul. As Smith says in his book, the self is too small to bear the weight of who we are you see you see and so that the, the false narrative is that I am simply my experiences my knowledge my accomplishments my failures my relationships everything else and that is it here's a, an analogy I want to you to keep with you in this series picture a swimming pool you know maybe at one of those big community pools or something there's a shallow end And there's a deep end. And the shallow end is where there's the most noise, right? Because all the kids are playing there. That's where all the activity is. The deep end is where uh, fewer people go. But that is where the stiller, deeper waters are. That's the soul. Uh, You have the shallow water self, not bad, just shallow water, and then the deep water. And so, what is the true narrative? You have a soul. You have a soul. Smith calls this our founding life form. By the way, there's a little outline in your bulletin if you find that helpful to follow along. Uh, I encourage you to do that. It is our founding life form. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 in the creation narrative. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being or soul. The man became a living being or soul. Now, the Hebrew word for soul here is nefesh, which can mean living being. It's a very broad word. And the same is true in the New Testament. The word for soul is suke, soul or life. You never know kind of what the intent is there uh, from which we get psychology, the study of the soul or the inner person. The Latin word for soul is animus, from which we get animate, the soul animates. It is that living spark of God that he has breathed into us. John Ortberg says, Your soul weighs nothing, yet means everything. I tell people with whom I am conversing about the gospel, that the soul is that God-image part of us that nothing else has. No animals have it. Your dog doesn't have it. Your cat doesn't have it. I know that disappoints you. They don't have a soul. We have a soul. We are unique among creation in that respect. The soul is the image of God within us, and we have a soul, okay? Now, what is a soul? What is it? Here's my answer. I don't know. It's better than most, not as good as some. What is the deep, the soul is the deepest essence of our God breathed humanity. It is the deepest essence of our God breathed humanity. Some of of us who have been around the Church of Christ long enough remember a, a phrase, soul winning. Remember, soul winning? That's what we call evangelism, soul winning. Because we understood in some way that we were trying to connect people's souls back to God through the atoning work of Jesus. Listen to how Ruth Haley Barton describes our soul. Your embodied soul is the you that exists beyond any role that you play and job that you perform, any relationship that seems to define you or any notoriety or success you may have achieved. Next slide. It is the part of you that longs for more of God. Than you have right now. This is a little uh, simplistic, but I, I picture the soul as like a homing beacon that is just seeking uh, God. It, it's just seeking God and is tr- always trying to nudge us toward God. So consider that the roles that I play. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I was a son until my parents died i am a neighbor a friend a pastor a employee i have all these roles okay just as you do and they're all fine they're good in many respects but underneath those is the soul jeremiah 1 through 5 before i formed you in the womb i knew you that's god Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Smith says, Our soul has a completely different value system than ourself. It knows what matters and what does not. Our soul cares for harmony, connection, and integration. Our soul is all about integrity, about what is true and beautiful and good. Our soul yearns for deeper realities. Our soul hungers for God. The young professional small group on Wednesday nights is reading through a book by Tim Keller, who's been a pastor in Manhattan for 40 years. And he's so familiar with seeing, you know, very uh, high-achieving, high-capacity people come through his church because they live in Manhattan. And he says what's very interesting is some of them make it, quote-unquote. You know, they make it big, whether it's in entertainment or finance or banking or whatever. And he says, very often, they are more miserable after they've made it than they were before they did because they are only tending to their self, their self, not paying attention to their soul. And so, here's something very important to know. Our soul, make this note, has desires. Our soul has deep desires, Desires God, of course. But desires integrity, goodness, truth, beauty, uh, connection, community. Uh, listen to Psalm 42.1. The psalmist says, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. The soul has longings and deep desires. As I mentioned, harmony, connection, integration. Our soul hungers for God. I've told you enough times I won't belabor it about my sophomore year of college, how it was the absolute worst year of my life. In a way, it's good because anytime you have a bad year like the pandemic, you just say, well, thank God. It's not my sophomore year in college, right? <laughs> and and you know, uh I was. It was just, I was depressed, I was distressed, I was just diso- disillusioned, and I had some destructive practices in my life. And I kept trying to tend to myself, you know, all the surface things, get in better shape, you know, hang around people, whatever. You know the things we do. Buy a new car, <laughs> you know. Clothes! Retail therapy, right? And... and and I remember so distinctly, I wasn't a Christian yet, a guy across the hall from me, I, I could tell, went to church. I asked him if I could borrow his Bible, and I just carried the Bible around with me. I never read it, like some of you, but, you know, uh, <laughs> but I carried it around with me. Just kind of, I, I was just yearning for some sense of transcendence, some sense of something beyond me. And I recognize that was my soul now. I recognize now my soul just saying, come on, man, come on. That homing beacon was just beeping, beeping, saying, I've got to help you connect to your creator. And so our souls have deep desires. Charles Wesley, the founder of Methodism, which was very rigorous in its beginning, used to greet people by saying, how is it with your soul? how is it with you don't tell me hey, how are you doing oh the jobs going well this is going well how is it with your soul are you at peace is there joy in your life uh, uh, are you full of love how is it with your soul our soul is all about integrity integrity is about different elements held together working together harmoniously and, and the opposite of integrity think of I- integration is disintegration, being apart, scattered, not working together. And so our soul has a deep desire for integrity, integration, and a a sign that we are not tending on to our soul is the disintegration in our lives. And I was completely disintegrated that year at college. Smith outlines some things that our soul desires It it desires to see our bodies as sacred. We're going to talk next week about how in the world do we view our bodies as God's good and beautiful creation. Our soul longs to be wanted, to be welcomed, to be loved without condition, to be intimately connected with God, to be forgiven forever, to be alive and empowered to adventure, to be holy and virtuous, to own our stories, to have a life of purpose, and to live forever and be with God. So just as our soul has deep desires, our soul has deep dislikes. Deep dislikes, consider this maybe aversions. Those wh- from which the soul sh- our soul shrinks and, and recoils. Read Psalm 43 verse 5 with me. Should be up there. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me. Isn't that amazing? The psalmist is kind of speaking to his soul. Why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted? This, the Hebrew word for cast down means to be in despair, depressed, dejected. Disquieted means disturbed, upset, groaning, and turmoil. Why are you just so unsettled, soul? Because our soul has dislikes in that sense and is telling us there is disintegration somewhere, a- and, and this is not healthy and whole. One of my favorite movies is a movie that didn't make it big that I know of. You may not even remember. is from 25 years ago. Michael Clayton. Anybody? Michael Clayton with George, yes, Ian, yes, uh, George Clooney stars in it. And he works for a law firm, and he doesn't work as a lawyer. He's a fixer all right? He's the guy in the firm who can fix anything. If your client gets a DWI, call Michael Clayton. If your client is in legal trouble, call Michael Clayton. He will fix it. He has connections connections everywhere. Well, he's developed a gambling problem, and the thing is, there is nothing good and redemptive in his life. All he's doing is managing the messes of other people, and he longs for the days, if you can believe it, when he was an assistant District attorney in Brooklyn doing what at least had a purpose to it. And at one point, his brother, who's a cop, says, You've got all the cops thinking you're a lawyer and all the lawyers thinking you're a cop. You don't know who you are. That's because he was completely disintegrated. Smith lists some of soul, our soul's dislikes or aversions, feeling unwanted guilt, shame. Guilt is feeling bad about what you've done. Shame is feeling bad about who you are. Disconnection from God, sin, boredom, boredom. Our soul wants us to be connected with a purpose and meaning, being victimized, uh, meaninglessness. Isn't it interesting when we talk about a A dreary job we call it soul killing work don't we yeah i've never said that about preaching but uh (laughs) final thing to know about the soul our soul deserves and even demands attention and care attention and care we talk about spiritual transformation a lot at 1548 heights another word for that is soul care soul care tending to the deep waters Not just the shallow waters. You've got to have the shallow waters. But tending to the deep waters. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit people if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul or life? In other words, if they get everything their self could desire, but they don't care for their soul. Now, Why would I say the soul even demands attention and care? I think when we get to a place of enough disintegration, our soul begins making demands, trying to rescue us, trying to reconnect us. One of my favorite books in the last 10 years is uh, by a man named Ian Cron. is really well known for his work with the Enneagram and he wrote a memoir called "My Father, the, uh, Jesus, My Father, the CIA, and Me about growing up with an alcoholic father who was in the CIA. Had a front job, but he was in the CIA. And the sad fact was his father just wasn't interested in him. And he longed to have the love and care of his father. His father just wasn't interested in him. And so he tried being the bad boy, getting in trouble, trying to get his dad's attention. He tried being the good boy, doing everything right, trying to get his father's attention. Nothing worked. And he got into his 20s, went to college, and, and uh, became a youth minister. And he developed a huge drinking problem. He talks about a dream he had. At one point, he was married in his mid-twenties, and he dreamed that he was hosting a di- he and his wife were hosting a di- dinner party. And he says, a noise louder than ACDC doing a sound check began in my dream. He says, guests began to gawk at the shaking linoleum floor. Ian, what's in your basement? I don't have a basement. At this point, ACDC began playing Highway to Hell. Cracks began to appear in the plaster walls. Ian, can't you hear that in your basement? A guest begins to open the door to the basement. Cron leaps in front of the guest, puts his... Uh, trying to hold that door closed. I'm going to preach the rest of the sermon from here. And, and, and he woke up. And he was in the living room. And he was sobbing. And his wife said, You have to see someone. And he went to a therapist, and the therapist convinced him to stop drinking. And when things cleared up a little, he said, What is happening to me? And the therapist slash spiritual director said, You're waking up. See, what was in the basement was all that pain and hurt uh, related to his dad. I don't even have a basement. And the soul is telling him, we, "There's disintegration here. Let's, let's try to make that whole somehow." And so our fo- soul, I think, will warn us in a good way. will begin demanding care uh, when, when our life becomes too much about self or too disintegrated. We so often try to fix only ourselves. And the the answer is in the deeper waters. We so often pursue pleasures, mistaking them for joy. But soul care is different. It's about joy, peace, connection, belonging, things good and beautiful. Friends, our souls are the deepest essence of who we are in our God-breathed humanity. God created you. He knows you. He loves you. And that image of Godness, that soul within you, is longing for more of God and more integrity, integration in our lives. And when we live with awareness of our soul and care for our souls and tend to our souls, we experience the deep connection which we are created by God to enjoy with Him through His Son, Jesus. John Orberg says, and I'll close here. Read it with me. Your soul's infinite capacity to desire is the mirror image of God's infinite capacity to give. The unlimited need of your soul matches the unlimited grace of God. I'm going to pray for us, and then Ann and I are going to be up front and I'm just going to invite anyone who would like to just come forward and and I'm going to anoint you with oil and pronounce a blessing on you from number 6 called the ironic Blessing the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you etc and, and just as a way to sort of consecrate you if you say I, I want to I want to live more in touch with my soul I want to connect more with God and Ann will pray over you I'll, I'll pronounce a blessing over you we just want to invite you if you have any interest in that to to come forward when we sing. Let's pray first. Lord, thank you so much that you put this homing beacon inside of us, our souls, that it's not all shallow water. It's not all ourself. There is something deep and good within us that longs for a good and beautiful life. And we want that, Lord. We want that in you and through you and for you. Uh, Thank you that we have hope in that sense, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.